Amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful song tonight. That's one of my all-time favorites. That was the song that was playing during the invitation, the night that uh, I surrendered my life to Christ to do what he'd have me do. I'll never forget it. It means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I think tonight all of us would take Jesus. Uh, it's not a question of do we want Jesus, it's do we want him more than other things, and that's where we all have to answer that question. I had to answer that 26 years ago as a 15-year-old kid, that I'd rather have him more, as he told Peter, more than these, and we all have to decide that in our life, where we're going to put him, and I've never regretted that since. It is good to see you here tonight. Appreciate Brother Nate, pinch hidden there for us for a little while. Uh, I've been in the dentist office for about two and a half hours this afternoon, and the left side of my face is still numb, if you are telling that some of it is not opening all the way tonight. And I told Brother Nate, I says, have an outline ready. I says, I'm not sure if my face is going to thaw out in time. And uh, so anyway, if you see my face and it looks weirder than normal, uh, nothing's wrong. Don't run up here. Nothing medically is going wrong. Uh, it is just not waking up. I told the lady at the dentist's office today, I says, ma'am, I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. I said, I'm just going to let you know that. My wife knows that I'm okay with it. She's okay with that. Uh, I says, really get me numb, okay? Uh, because it just embarrasses me to death uh, when I feel pain and almost jump out of the chair. Anybody ever done that? You're laying there and all of a sudden they're drilling, and they hit that nerve and you like to come. It just hurts my pride, okay? And I says, get it real dead. Get it real dead. And uh, so she started drilling on there. And, Ooh, I just flinched a little bit. So she went back to, uh, gave me a few more shots. And that was at noon, no joke, that was at noon. It's 718, and my face still hasn't woken up yet, and I hope it wakes up. Uh, my wife came in. She says, how is it? I says, is my nose moving? She says, no. I said, I'm trying. I'm really trying. So uh, tonight, I appreciate Brother Nate being ready to step in for us there. Uh, we're going to try to preach what the Lord's given us tonight. You can go ahead and turn to uh, Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. We're going to read a lot, so remain seated tonight if you don't mind. And while you're turning there, let me say a quick thank you to everybody who brought me Oreos uh, this past week. I'm not joking. Uh, I came around the corner, and there by the mailbox, there's a stack of Oreo packages this tall. I've had people give them to me at the school. I've had people pass them to me in the hallway, and uh, I appreciate that very much. I told Miss Pam, I said, just mention it, really, just one Sunday, and all of these Oreos just poured in. And so I think this coming Sunday, I'm going to mention Weight Watchers, and hopefully some of that stuff will come pouring in, but I do appreciate that. And uh, I've actually shared them with a lot of folks around the property, so I'm not going to be the only one getting fat because of your generosity. Acts chapter number 8, look down to verse 26, and we're going to read uh, at least 10 verses. Follow along tonight, and uh, we'll see as the Lord leads this uh, how long we can go with the froze face, okay? Acts chapter number 8, verse number 26. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem. Notice this, for to worship. Verse 28, the Bible says, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, How can I except some man should guide me? 
And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Watch the question that's asked in verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and says, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. That's a lot to read tonight. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to be back in your house. Thank you for the privilege to fellowship with your people and to hear from your word tonight. I pray you'd help us through it. Help us, Father, open our hearts to receive exactly what the Holy Spirit desires, Lord, to tell us tonight. And I pray that, Lord, we'd not just hear it and be a hearer of the word. Help us leave here tonight being doers of the word. Father, I pray you'd prepare the heart of our church as we look toward our revival coming up real soon, that even the services tonight and the services to come ahead of our revival would prepare us to receive, Father, all that you desire to do in us and through us. And I thank you for that tonight, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned in my prayer there a moment ago, uh, my prayer for our church is that over the coming days and weeks and the services that we'll be in and be together, that God will begin preparing our heart for revival and that God would begin preparing the soil of our heart to receive the seed of the Word of God. Uh, I had an older preacher tell me years ago I was preaching a revival, uh, I think down in Gulfport, no, not in Gulfport, in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and uh, he says, you know, they were having a three-night revival. And as a young preacher, I thought three nights worth of revival, that was a lot of preparation to get together uh, to preach that many sermons in three days. And the older preacher told me this. He says, used to, we had week-long revivals. Uh, We would go Sunday to Sunday, have revival services. And here's what he told me. He says, even having a week-long revival, it was still not enough. For at the end of that week, our people were finally ready to receive the Word of God and to do the will of God. And he told me this. He says, I believe that in order to have true revival in the church, you need at least two weeks of services. Now, don't panic, okay? I'm not preparing you to tell you we're about to have two weeks of services. I could feel the Spirit get quenched all of a sudden, Brother Nate, when I started mentioning a two-week revival service. But I genuinely believe tonight... That in order for us to have revival, to be stirred, it's a lot like a field. The Bible uses the word of God, the illustration to describe it is as a seed. You don't just go out and throw seed on the ground. Will it sprout? Absolutely. Will you have some fruit? Absolutely. But not to the fullest potential that you could. Why? Because soil preparation is very important. You've got to go out there. You've got to plow that soil. I'm sure a lot of you men and maybe even some of you ladies are already preparing your dear food plots, Right? Already getting it ready. And man, you want that grass or that corn or whatever you're planting to come up, and you want them to come and eat it so you can shoot them, and you're going to prepare that soil as best as possible so that the seed has a good chance of not only sprouting, but producing much fruit. Now, folks, listen to me tonight. I hope 
that we put just as much time and even more time into having our hearts prepared to receive the seed of the Word of God as we do into our food plots uh, and our gardens that we're going to plant this year. Now, what does that mean? That means before we get to this time of the revival services, where we have the three nights for our entire church, uh, the one night for our teenagers, the one night for our, our couples, and then the last day for our men, that we allow the Lord to begin preparing our heart for what he desires to do. Now, tonight in this passage of Scripture, there's a couple, maybe three points I want to bring across to you uh, that I think God's going to help us as we prepare for revival. Why? Because of what God has already done in our heart. You think about what he's already done for you. Number one, I pray you're saved tonight. I pray every person in the sound of my voice and watching on live stream knows emphatically, 100% sure, that if you died, you're going to heaven. Okay? I hope you know that better than you know your name. And if you're saved here tonight, you know how wonderful that is to know for sure that you're a child of God. Now, as wonderful as the work of salvation is in our life, it doesn't stop there. God desires to continue to do more work in our life, but we must make our hearts available to what God desires to do. Now, one of the most wonderful things about our story of redemption and what makes it so beautiful is the links that God went through to redeem us, all right? Now, you think about that. You think about all that God went through and all that God experienced in order to secure our redemption, in order for Christ to intervene in our life. I was thinking about the words of the song Victory in Jesus today where it says, he sought me and bought me. You think about that. All the great links that Christ went through to intervene in my life so that I could call God my heavenly father. Look, he didn't just feel sorry for me, he felt pain for me. You think about that, all right? That's compassion illustrated. Oftentimes we feel sorry for people, but to go the extra distance to be willing to intervene in their life, we're not just going to feel sorry for them, we're going to feel the pain with them. That's what Christ did for us. Now, I read a story today, boy, a beautiful picture of how someone intervened in someone else's life. 1942, a man by the name of Richard, Richard Atrium of Peru, Indiana. Uh, he was a POW during the Second World War. And he was watching a naval officer be punished and being whipped by the enemy, trying to get information out of them. As they whipped him merciful, mercifully, we'll just lay that on the lip if we could, he passed out. The naval officer collapsed unconscious. And when Richard saw that, he stepped between the whip and the naval officer and says, listen, he can't take anymore. And if he has more stripes, I will take his stripes. The Japanese that were whipping him there were so moved by what Richard was willing to do on behalf of the naval officer, they said, that's enough. And they didn't whip anybody else. What did he do? He intervened. He didn't just speak out and say, hey, you ought to quit doing that. He placed himself in between the trouble and the one who is receiving the trouble. Now, I want you to think about that tonight. That's what John 15 calls the greatest love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay his life down. What is he doing? Remember this word tonight. He's intervening. All right? He's intervening. He's stepping between the trouble and the troubled one. Now, that's what Christ did for us. Christ intervened on our behalf. But here's what I want you to see 
as we prepare for revival. Christ intervening for us, not only was it our pardon, it was our pattern, okay? Christ intervening for us, stepping between the trouble and the troubled, was not just for our pardon, but it serves tonight as our pattern. Why did God leave us here? He left us here for a purpose, and if we wanted to sum up that purpose just in one word, it would be intervention. That's why we're here. We're here to intervene. We're here to come between the trouble and the troubled ones. Now, outside of Christ tonight, I don't know of a better example of intervention than that of Philip. The account that we just read about in Acts chapter number 8, and we see how Philip is so willing to be used of God to intervene in the life of one who needed to hear about nothing less than Jesus. And Philip, as in the life of Christ, is going to show us tonight what we are to be about. And I want to give you three reasons tonight, three reasons to reach out, okay? Three reasons to reach out. Now, what I want to share with you are three things I'm praying about for our revival. Three burdens that I'm praying our church will get. Three things tonight that I believe God's going to help us to have a burden about reaching out and intervening in the lives of those that God has left us here to come between the trouble and those that are troubled. So let's look, if we could, at verse 26. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had, now watch this, had, past tense, come to Jerusalem for to worship. Verse 28, was returning. All right, so here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. You're going to have to hear me tonight because I didn't give the guys my notes beforehand because I didn't know that I was going to be able to preach tonight. So you're going to have to hear me out. We're looking at three reasons tonight to reach out. So here's Philip, and Philip is being led of the Lord to go intervene in the life of this Ethiopian. Now, where has he been? He's been to Jerusalem. What has he been doing in Jerusalem? The Bible says he was there to worship. Now where is he headed? He's headed away from Jerusalem on his way home, and now the Lord leads Philip to go to him and to intervene in his life. Why? Watch this. He's going away without Christ. Now, isn't that a picture today of what often happens in our churches? People come and we worship, but believe it or not, there are still people who go away without Christ. Now, folks, he was on his way home, but could we all agree for a moment that it doesn't matter where you're headed in this life, whatever direction you're headed without Christ is the wrong way, all right? And so God says, that guy is going the wrong direction, and Philip, I want you to go and intervene in his life. That's the first reason tonight that we need to reach out. Number one is because of their direction. Tonight, we should be burdened about reaching out and intervening in the lives of other people. Why? Simply because of their direction. Now, it's just an illustration tonight, but here was someone who was headed away without Christ. Now, unfortunately, we're living in a world of people who are very familiar with worship. Uh, I don't know how many times I hear that word mentioned often when I'm witnessing to people. They tell me about their worship and their experiences with worship. But can I tell you, worship is more than an experience. 
There's a lot of people tonight who have a religion and a knowledge of religion, but a knowledge of religion is not going to get you to heaven. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of religious people in hell tonight. They had a knowledge of religion, but never a relationship with Christ. Speaking with a woman the other day, witnessing to her, very nice lady, and a different denomination than we are, and uh, began talking to her about the Lord, and she says, I'm not very religious, and I don't really care for religious people. You know what I told her? I said, I don't care for religious people either. She looks over at me like, huh? You know, just kind of keeping it low-key. She said, can I tell you why I don't like religion? I said, sure. She said, religion is responsible for so much heartache in the world. I says, please explain. She says, how many people that blow themselves up and kill thousands of people over there in the Middle East in the name of the religion of Islam? They're doing it out of the guise of religion. How many people say they're doing things? Even some Christians at time back, years and years ago, people were murdered. Why? In the name of religion. Look at the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. In the name of religion. Do you know what I was able to share with that dear lady? Plant the seed of the gospel in her heart. I says, look, I'm not trying to share with you religion because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Philip tell him? The Bible says in verse 35 that he preached unto him what? Religion? No, he preached unto him Jesus. Can I tell you what will be one of the greatest motivations for a Central Baptist Church to reach outside of these walls and bring people to Christ, watch this, and help reach out to those that are already saved and bring them back to Christ? What should motivate us tonight is simply their direction and where they're headed. Look, Philip understood that if this gentleman died without Christ, he's going to die religious but lost and spend eternal, eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And he was motivated. Why? Because of this man's direction. Now, folks, can I tell you tonight, we're not dumb. We're not dumb. Now, some of us may not be as smart as others, but we're not dumb. We can look at people and we recognize the direction in their life but oftentimes, we're content to acknowledge the direction of their life, and yet we're not intervening in the direction of their life. How often do you look and say, well, there's something wrong. Hmm. They're going down the wrong road. Hey, they're heading in the bad direction. Hey, that's great that you acknowledge that. But like Philip, we've got to be willing to intervene in that. By the way, that's exactly what Christ did. He looked down from the portals of glory. He saw mankind past, present, and future. He saw our direction that we were lost. Remember in Mark chapter number 9, here's a picture of us right here, verse 36. The Bible says, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered as sheep, not having a shepherd. Now, there's one particular word I want you to hear. It's the word scattered. You know what that means? They had No direction. No direction. It's kind of like my dad told me years ago when I first started pastoring. My dad said, son, sometimes pastoring is like herding cats. Now, I've never seen that done. I think I'd like to see it, Brother Michael, if we could try to get an illustration together. I'd love to witness that, but I kind of have an idea that he was right. Why? Oftentimes, we're all going in different directions. But the worst direction you could be headed is the direction without Christ and away from Christ. And folks, before we got saved, that was all of us. We were all headed in the wrong direction. Thanks be to God, number one, for a Savior who intervened. And then watch this, that somebody was willing to be your and my Philip and come to us and intervene in our life in a direction was only going to bring heartache and pain and shame. Now, folks, look, 
before we head into revival, look, I pray that the soil gets softened these next few services before revival week. Why? Because we've got to get a burden about reaching outside of these walls. Why? Because our world's headed in the wrong direction. Give you a great scripture. It's the life verse of a friend of mine who's in heaven now. Daniel chapter 12, verse number 3. The Bible says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Did you notice that one particular line right there in the middle? The Bible says, They that turn many to righteousness. They that turn Many to righteousness. It's a directional word. Why are you turning them? Because they're going the wrong way. And you have such compassion for them as Christ. You don't just feel sorry for them. You intervene in their life and you help turn them around. You know, everybody in this world today wants to be a star. That verse says, hey, you want to shine like a star? Turn many to righteousness. Years ago when I was a children's minister and a youth pastor, uh, it was a big thing to go skating. Is that a thing anymore? I don't know if it's a thing anymore. Do people go skating anymore? Is it not cool, you know? Man, they always have those disco balls up there, you know? Just, my God. Brother Nate, can you skate? I, Brother Nate just looks like a guy to be able to skate, doesn't he? I figured he could. And we would take our kids skating. That was a big thing. Matter of fact, we would go over here to Burkitt's Roller Rink and pedal. We would go skating and bowling. You know, that was just a big deal for a kid from Jeff Davis County, you know, go skating and bowling. And we go out there, and our kids, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. And they put those skates on, and after a while, they get rolling. And they got really good rolling forward, but that's about all they could do. They could skate laterally, but they couldn't make any turns. And so as their loving children's minister or youth pastor, I would stand there and literally, by the wall, keep them from crashing. Believe it or not, I was a youth pastor that loved my kids. And I would stand there, and here they'd come. And boy, they got good speed moving forward, uh, but they needed to turn. And so my job was to catch them and turn them along their way. And we had somebody else on the other end to catch them, turn them along their way. Now, why did I do that? Uh, well, number one, I didn't want them to get hurt, and I get sued, okay? I'm just being honest with you. Uh, number two, it's because I cared about them. I cared about them. They're going in the wrong direction, and they're going to get hurt. I mean, some of those kids, coordination, lost art in America. And I hate to tell you, that was back about uh, 15 years ago. It's gotten worse. I mean, coordination is gone. Unless it's like this coordination, it's gone. It's over. People aren't coordinated. And those kids are going to get hurt. They're going to fall. Why? Because of the direction they're headed. So you know what I said I'm going to do? I'm just going to stand here and catch them and turn them. Now, folks, that's what the Bible says we're to be about We've got to get a burden for the direction people are headed. They're headed away without Christ, and if somebody doesn't intervene in their life, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. So what do we do? We do what Daniel 12 says. We try to turn many to righteousness. But instead, oftentimes, we're like Mark 6. We're not like Mark 9. Jesus saw them, as sheep scattered, without a shepherd, and the Bible says that he had compassion on them. He went to them. But we read about in Mark chapter number 6, the disciples looked up and they saw the multitudes and they were hungry. And you know what they said? Three words. Send them away. Send them away. Now here's what's sad. The disciples recognized they were hungry. All right? They recognized they had a need. 
And they said, send them away. No, folks, look, we're not here to send them away. We're here to intervene. And one of the greatest burdens you will get for people is when you're burdened about their direction to the point that you're not just acknowledging their need, you're willing to intervene in their need. So what did Philip do? He gives us an example. He reached out to this man. Why? Because of his direction. Now, folks, there's a lot of people tonight just like this eunuch. They're often churched, but never changed. We live in the Bible Belt. We're often churched, but rarely changed. I'm not just talking about lost people. I'm talking about saved people as well. We come to church and we worship, but we don't leave here changed. As we go into this week of renewal, I'm asking you to pray that God would give you a burden for people. And that not only are you going to pray that they come to the week of renewal, but you're going to be willing to go and intervene. Why? Because you're burdened about their direction. You know, there's some lost people tonight. I'm burdened about their direction. I'm burdened about it. The clock's ticking. The trumpet of God's going to sound soon, and I'm excited about that thought. But on the other side of that coin, I'm so worried that some aren't going to get in. So you know what we've got to do? We've got to be burdened about people's direction enough that we're willing to go and intervene. But also, I'm burdened about some Christians tonight. I'm burdened about some people tonight that know better. And they're not heading toward Jerusalem. They're headed away from Jerusalem. They're headed away from Christ. And tonight, folks, we can sit back. I talked about it Sunday night. We can sit back and say, man, well, you should have known better, so on and so forth. Oh, no, listen to me. Why don't you ask God to give you a burden for them, not to just acknowledge their direction, but intervene in their direction. So number one tonight, three reasons that we should be willing to reach. Number one is their direction. This guy was headed away without Christ, and Philip was willing to go. Now let's keep reading. Look down, if you will. Verse number 27, the Bible says, Philip, or speaking of Philip, he arose and went. My goodness gracious, you could preach volumes on that sentence right there. He just arose and went. He was just obedient. But watch what happens here. When he finds the man... Verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Now, here's what's amazing. The guy is sitting there reading. Obviously, he genuinely wants to find some answers, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, when you look down that verse, Philip asked him in verse 30, Understandest thou what thou readest? What did he say? How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So notice that question, how can I? How can I? He had questions and he needed answers. Who had the answers? Philip. Philip had the answers. Now watch this. The first reason we should have a burden about reaching out tonight is because of the direction of people. The second reason tonight we should have a burden about reaching out is because of our duty, their direction and our duty. So what's our duty? Well, think about it this way. This world we're living in has a lot of questions. Matter of fact, this season that we've been going through the last couple of years has only generated more questions. There's people out there tonight that are wondering, how do I have peace? 
How can somebody have peace in the midst of a world that we're living in right now? It's impossible, right? There's no way you can have peace in the world we're living in right now. It's too chaotic. The, the, the financials are up and down. I mean, the store shelves are empty. I mean, politics going. I mean, who knows what's about to happen in the next year? There's no way you can have peace. Is there any way? And we have the answer. There's people tonight looking for hope and joy and contentment, and we have the answers. Here's the problem. We've got to get a burden, not just for their direction. We've got to get burdened about our duty. We have the answers. Imagine if, if Philip walks up to the chair and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he goes, how can I except some man show me? And Philip says, well, I'll, I'll pray about it for you. Hmm. I'll see if I can find you somebody. I kind of feel like God would have struck him dead right there. I mean, come on, Philip. That's the whole reason. I mean, can you imagine if you were there in the chariot with him and you knew what was going on and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I except somebody show me? And Philip says, well, good luck with that. You're like, no, Philip, why do you think God directed you there? Why do you think you're having this not so coincidental encounter? Was that a coincidence? Not at all. That was a divine appointment. Philip was at that chariot at that time on purpose for that man. God led him there. It was all orchestrated. Now, can we see that tonight? Can we see that? This was all put together by God. Now, watch this. Just as clearly as you see Philip standing by that chariot, you've got to see us standing in this world. We are here for this purpose. Here's our problem. We're more burdened about so many other things that have no eternal value, and we're neglecting to be burdened about our duty. We have the answers. What was the answer? Look back. Verse 35. It's one word at the end of verse 35. The answer's Jesus. That's the answer. You know why I have peace in my life, even in the midst of this chaos we're living in? Because of Jesus. I know the Prince of Peace, and he promised me a peace that passes understanding. <laughs> Let me tell you, you got peace in 2021, it definitely passes understanding. People don't understand it. Are you some kind of lunatic? Are you medicated or something that you got peace in the midst of this nightmare that we're living in? Oh, no. No, no. It's not medicine. It's Jesus that's why I have peace in my life. The answer's Jesus. Look, we sit back. We overthink this thing. We overthink. Now, I'm not saying, look, that we don't have to get down to the, uh, the nuts and bolts of things sometime and help people and walk them through some things. Absolutely. But you're hopeless without Jesus. You got to start there. And when you start there, oh, the journey's so much easier to find the direction you need when you have a shepherd leading you. The answer is Jesus. So here is Philip. He says, how can I? Now, let me tell you something. If your burden's where it needs to be, and you're burdened about people, and you're burdened about people's direction, and somebody says to you, how can I except some man show me? All of a sudden, you start licking your spiritual chops. Here it goes. Here's your chance to do what? Well, to do what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, be ready always to give an answer to every man. We have the answers. We have the answer. I was homeschooled for many years, and um, 
My mom was our teacher, and we had a Becca video, and we do the school there. My mom had the answer keys. And I would be doing some weird stuff, you know, conjugating verbs and all that. I told you the other day, diagramming sentences, not quite figuring out how that worked and all that. And I'm sitting there, and I said, Mom, I've already surrendered to preach. Never once in 26 years have I had to diagram a sentence in my outlines. Never, ever. I look at my mom. I said, Mom, look, I'm not going to need this. Mechanical drawing, I would have to draw machine uh, bolts and have their threads at the proper angles of degrees and separation. It had to be perfect. Drawing, I'm like, Mom, I'm not going to have to do that in preaching. Would you just give me the answer key? Let me fill it in so I can graduate and get about the will of God for my life. It was all for the right reasons. I just wanted to get about the will of God for my life. I said, Mom, would you just give me the answers? No. No. Now, folks, she was right in that. But there's people begging for answers to the plagues of this life, mainly sin. And we have it. We have it. You say, well, the answer, no, the answer is Jesus. That's the answer. The answer is Jesus. Philip says here, the Bible says he preached unto him Jesus. Philip didn't withhold the answer. Why? Because he was burdened about his duty. My prayer is that our hearts would become burdened for people's direction and be burdened about our duty. I've got the answer. I mean, two years ago when all this COVID started, how valuable would it have been to have that vaccine? How valuable to say, I've got it. I've got it. This will cure the entire world. This is it. I've got it. And then you sit on it. Say, you know what? I'm not going to share that with anybody. I know what will help. I'm not going to share that with nobody. Boy, you would have thought that was the most cruel person in the world. But that's only temporal. COVID can affect you on the other side of eternity. But sin can. Sin can. And if we sit on that tonight, it shows that we don't have the burden for our duty. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul says, look, this is not a luxury of a super Christian. We think that only super Christians witness. You say, well, I'm just not one of those. I don't have that talent. No, Paul said, a necessity is laid upon me. He says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Folks, we have a duty to their direction. There's people headed away like the eunuch without Christ. And not only, listen, should we be burdened about their direction, we should be burdened that we have a duty to them. We have the answer. Why? Because we know Christ. I'm not just talking about lost people, folks. They're saved people tonight that we have a duty. We talked about it Sunday night to help restore them back to Christ. They haven't lost their salvation, but they're headed in the wrong direction away from Christ. And we have a duty to restore them. God, help us as a church tonight that we have a burden to reach outside these walls because of their direction, number two, because of our duty. The Apostle Paul did that at Mars Hill, remember that? 
There's no greater illustration of somebody just busting up in the middle of something than that. They have all of these idols that are there. He says, you're too superstitious. I mean, Paul didn't sit back and go, oh, man. Look at these dummies. Worshiping all these false gods and all these images that are there. And they even have one to the unknown God in case they miss one. You know what he did? He came between the trouble and the troubled. He intervened. He just didn't sit back and acknowledge their direction. He took upon the burden of his duty and he stepped right up in the middle of that thing and started preaching the answer. You know what the answer is? Let's say it again. The answer is Jesus. Now I'll give you this before I give you the last point. Verse 31 shows us what is required in our duty and this is probably one of the most valuable commodities on planet earth. And he says, how can I accept some man should, should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. When I read that today, my heart just broke, thinking about how many people desire somebody to come intervene. And they're waiting, somebody. They're desiring somebody to just come and intervene. But watch this. He desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Do you know what Philip gave him before he gave him Christ? He gave him his time. He gave him his time. He says, would you come up and sit with me? And in order for Philip to fulfill his duty, he had to be willing to give his time. And do you know why we do not fulfill our duty and help people that are going the wrong direction, we simply are not willing to give up our time. But you know what the truth is? And boy, I want to tell you, I'm just as guilty as the next person when it comes to mismanaged time. You get busy doing one thing and move into another thing, you forget about, forget about things. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says, no, you're not, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Do you know when God bought me, thank God he, he bought my soul, paid for, but he also bought my time. My time is his time. I'm not on my clock anymore. I'm on his clock. And if I'm going to fulfill the will of God in this life, here well done, have something to lay at the feet of Jesus, sooner or later it's going to cost me my time. I've got to be willing to not just only go to them, but I love where it says he desired that he would come up and sit with him. He's, he says, would you give me some time? Would you give me some time? Can I tell you in order for you to intervene tonight, it's going to cost you your time. I'm so thankful for our ministries here at our church, the different ministries we have, the, the new ones, the old ones, different people that work in our ministries, and probably the, most, the, the greatest expense that's non-deductible on your taxes is time. It's time. There's probably not a day, an evening drive by, I don't see somebody here in the parking lot doing something, and I don't know if they're up here practicing a special, I don't know if they're cleaning the building, I don't know if they're in the RU or the college, whatever they're doing, Jolly Keens, the different ministries we have, but I do know one thing for sure, they're giving their time. They're giving their time. Now, folks, if we're going to have a burden about reaching out, we're going to reach out because of their direction, number two, because of our duty. It's our duty to give our time, which is his time. Why? Let me give you a verse that's not often thought of when we think about soul winning, but it's just as important principle to apply to it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. The Bible says, withhold not good 
from them to whom it is due when it is in thine power, the power of thine hand to do it. Now, oftentimes we think about that with work, right? Somebody does a job for you, you pay them for doing the job, right? Withhold not good from them. You know, somebody does a job, you take care of them. Or maybe someone deserves a compliment. Hey, withhold not good. When it's within your power, it's not going to hurt you. Compliments are one of the cheapest things you can give, and it goes a whole long way in the lives of people. But you know the Bible says here, withhold not good. I know nothing greater than the good news of the gospel. The Bible says, withhold not good from them that it is due. That it is due. You say, what do you mean that it is due? You know, they're a lost sinner. But you know what? There was blood shed for them. Just like there was blood shed for you. There was blood shed for them just like it was shed for you. It's due them. It's due them. There's good news for them. Look, if you had good news for me and you didn't share it with me, I'd be a little bit aggravated, to be honest with you. If you got bad news, keep it to yourself. The complaint desk is closed. But if you got good news, I mean, you got some good news. Brother Jeremiah, I passed by your house the other night, and there was a 12-point eating acorns outside of your fence. Hey, why don't you tell me before driving by and shooting out your window? Say, hey, I saw something good, man. What an encouragement. Now, I'm not going to shoot it at night. I'd wait till the daytime. And that'd be good news. The greatest news someone could ever get is the good news of the gospel. The Bible says, withhold not good to them that is due when it is in thine power. Oh, it's within our power. Why? Because we're simply sharing something that we were given. We got to have a burden about what? Got to have a burden about our duty. And finally, finally, where did all of this begin? If you would, look up, to, um, look up to verse number 26 again. I'll give you the last thing and we'll close. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And the Bible says he arose and he did that. Now look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Finally, the third reason tonight that we should learn to reach out or have a burden to reach out. The Bible says, because the Spirit said. The Spirit said. Now, you notice when you look down at that verse, it's a capital S, the Spirit, all right? That's the Holy Spirit of God. We should be motivated tonight to reach out. Why? Because of their direction. Number two, because of our duty. And finally, the greatest reason to reach out tonight is because of God's demand. God's demand. Notice what he says. He says, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Go near. Go near. Notice he didn't say, Philip, if you got time, go near. He didn't say, Philip, if you feel like it, go near. No, he just said, go near. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I'm Philip, I have probably already thought of four good excuses why not. You ever done that? I mean, how futile is it for us to find excuses to give God for the answers he already knows? If I was Philip, I probably would have thought to myself, Lord, he's royalty. He lives in the palace. He's the treasurer for all of Candace Queen's uh, wealth that she has. He's not going to listen to me. That's what I would have thought. I'm just a lowly preacher, and here is this guy with notoriety. He's not going to listen. But it didn't matter. He said, go near. I would have thought to myself, Lord, I just looked up and he's reading his Bible. 
Lord, you must have misdirected me because that guy's already saved because he has a Bible, right? Because you have a Bible or two of them on the dash of your car. Even if the cover is all curled up from the sun, you're saved, right? But no, he was not. I probably would have told the Lord, you know what? I don't want to interrupt him. He probably won't like me coming, knocking on his chariot door while it's going down the road. And yet all of those excuses were futile. Why? Because the simple fact of the matter is, the Spirit said in verse 29, go near and join thyself. I was talking to Brother Ray, who's going to become preaching for us. He'll be flying out here in just a few weeks and begin our revival service coming up from California. And uh, he says, well, what is your burden for revival? And I began to tell him what my prayer was for our people. And I said, we have good people. We have a great church. I said, but one of my prayers is that our church, our congregation, our people would all become united in being spiritually minded. Spiritually minded. You say, what do you mean by that? It means to where the Spirit is leading us in what we do and how we do it. That we'll be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit throughout that week that if we're sitting in our chair, come invitation time, the Holy Spirit tells us that it's time to get right with him, to give this up, to start doing this, or to do this better, we're going to be spiritually minded and just heed the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. No matter what it is, if God lays somebody upon our heart as he did Stephen, we're just going to be obedient to God's demand. That's what God said, that's what I'm going to do it. Now folks... I know the consequences of following instructions sometimes are difficult, but following instructions is not that hard if we're just spiritually minded enough to do what thus saith the Lord. Now, I'm going to close with this. If you look down in verse number 29, the Bible says, And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou? Uh, understandest thou what thou readest. God is beginning the gears greased up for Philip to present the gospel. But here's what was amazing. When you look down and the Bible says that he was to go to his chariot, the Bible uses a word, let me find it. Look down. Here we go. And he says, how can I accept some man should guide me? Verse 31. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, where is he? He's in his chariot. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, and I keep, can't find the verse. It's in here somewhere. It said, join thyself, verse 29, there it is, I'm sorry, to this chariot. This chariot. I don't know that I've ever noticed that word before in this passage. I think I've always quoted it, his chariot. But he said, this chariot. It was a specific one. God gave him a specific burden for this chariot. Now, here's, here's my prayer, and we're going to have invitation. My prayer for our church leading up to revival is that you would ask God to give you a specific burden for somebody or somebody's. God gave Philip a specific burden for this chariot. Can I ask you tonight, do you have a burden for someone specific? Do you have a this chariot? Who is your this chariot? I have a burden for this person. I'm going to go to them and I'm going, to, I'm going to knock on their door and say, hey, we've missed you at church or hey, I'd love to have you come to church. Hey, I have a burden for you. Do you have a specific burden tonight? Philip got one from the Lord. I believe if we're willing to heed that spiritual leadership from the Holy Spirit of God, God will put his finger on somebody. I've already got two families specifically 
that God has laid on my heart and says, that's who I want you to go to. And they're on here. It's a necessity laid upon me. I know who it is and I know who God wants me to go to. Tonight, if we were spiritually minded as Philip was, we would hear God's demands and we would heed God's demands. But we've got to get to the place where we have a burden to reach out. How do we do that? It's three simple things. Number one, we're burdened about their direction. There's people headed away without Christ. There's saved people headed away from Christ. You ought to be burdened about their direction. Why? Because we know where it's going to lead. Number two, we're burdened about their direction and we're burdened about our duty. Our duty. What did Christ say? I must needs go. The ultimate example, Christ says, I must needs go. I have a duty to that woman in Samaria. Now, folks, we must needs go to those that the Holy Spirit of God lays upon our heart. And we do that by being willing to be obedient to God's demand. Tonight, I believe our church is headed in a wonderful direction as we head into this revival, as we look toward a new year if God should tarry. But, oh, we cannot fulfill the will of God if we don't learn to reach. We're here to reach. There's people heading in the wrong direction that we have a duty to to fulfill God's demand. And if we'll just be willing tonight to heed the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we'll see God work in ways that I think is beyond our human comprehension. So tonight with our heads bowed and eyes,